Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Is it possible for you to become an enlightened, awake being? If so, what are the best and easiest ways to get there? Today's guest is New York Times bestselling author and frequent Oprah guest, Jonathan Robinson, who has found some of the best ways to awaken to inner peace by studying over 100 well-known spiritual teachers, including the late Mother Teresa, Ram Dass, the Dalai Lama, Deepak Chopra, and many more. This conversation can change your life. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Jonathan Robinson. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. You have lived a very interesting life thus far uh, and have met some very interesting people and done some amazing work. We're going to talk about uh, your book, The Enlightenment Project, uh, and some details about inside of it, but you just have such a fascinating journey uh, in general. But my, since you've met some, and we're going to talk about some of the people you've met and interviewed over the years, but my very first question to you is, what is your definition of enlightenment? Well, a really simple one that I like is perceiving the world without the lens of the ego. You know, normally we think we're some kind of character. You think you're Alex, I think I'm Jonathan. There's that separation, but when you take away that lens, really what we are is a pure awareness and there's a lot of peace and love and joy that comes from knowing yourself as awareness. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing in enlightenment in, in regards to the scientific work you've been doing with enlightenment? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I've been blessed to interview and spend time with a hundred spiritual leaders ranging from the late Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama. And um, as I got into interviewing and spending time with people, I, I associated myself with a guy named Dr. Jerry, uh, Jeffrey Martin, who's a Harvard psychologist who wanted to study what enlightenment is, what triggers it, what are the best methods that help to instigate enlightenment. And so I've become part of his research and part of his group of people studying enlightenment. And what you find is that a lot of what people think about enlightenment is actually totally wrong. Mm -hmm. What are some misconceptions of it? I mean, enlightenment is in the traditional zeitgeist of the world, especially in the Western world. It is the picture of Buddha sitting behind me, sitting underneath the banden tree uh, and, you know, just blissing out. Uh, yeah. That's generally what enlightenment is thought to be, I think. You tell me. Well, people have various conceptions, like, it, you know, uh, solves all your problems, that you're a perfect being, all those things. In, in the book, The Enlightenment Project, I have a whole chapter about 25 myths about enlightenment. But let's say one of the most common <clears throat> ones, one of the most damaging ones, is we think that it just can happen to these great <clears throat> spiritual beings. But in reality, if you come up with the right method for you, uh, having moments of enlightenment or becoming a fully enlightened being is not that hard anymore. It's not just relegated for a few special souls. It's really a matter of using certain methods that 
chip away at you feeling like you're an ego and instead identifying with your awareness or your soul. And so, you know, a lot of people have had experiences like they're watching a sunset or making love and they're just totally present. They're, they lose themselves in the experience. Well, and fully enlightened people have that experience all the time. And you and I, if we have some of the latest, greatest methods, we can experience more and more of those moments pretty easily. The problem is that a lot of people are using methods that are 2000 years old. And mm -hmm. those methods don't really work very well in the modern world. But there's a lot of methods that have been invented in the last two years that are just phenomenally effective at uh, giving people moments of enlightenment and sometimes tipping them over into having that experience all the time. So as you were saying uh, with your definition earlier of enlightenment, is it a brainwave? Uh, is it a brainwave or a vibration that you're able to measure, quote unquote, enlightenment in, in subjects? Yeah, you can measure it with good EEG machines. And there's a, a what's called the awakened brainwave that, you know, people like the Dalai Lama have. But so that's one way of measuring, or you can ask people what their experience is. There's a certain experience where people no longer feel like an ego. They feel like they are a presence, a loving presence, rather than a ongoing person, so to speak. Um, so there's brainwave things you can do, but there's also different levels of enlightenment. I right. talk about in my book that there's like four different types and you can see that there's different brainwaves for each different type. So there's more than just this one word that people don't understand. It's really uh, different types of peace and ways of perceiving the world that are slightly different. So, you know, since you've met so many spiritual masters over the years, I mean, I'd imagine that, you know, as you can see, I have a picture of Yogananda sitting behind me. Someone of his magnitude, as far as enlightenment is concerned, or you know, freedom of the world that we, you know, this, this, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. but enlightenment for lack of a better word, uh, you know, there's stories of when you walk into the presence or even near the presence of these kind of enlightened souls that you, you have no choice, but to just feel the bliss and the love and the energy. And then you, you, you know, you met the Dalai Lama, you met mother Teresa, you've met other spiritual leaders, you, I'm assuming you could feel the difference in between what it felt like to be in those people's presence. And then someone who you've maybe seen on the EKGs, like, oh, he's enlightened there, but it's not the same thing. It's at those different levels. Maybe if you explain the four levels and then also explain your experiences by just talking to all these spiritual masters over the years. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up that some enlightened teachers, just like some charismatic people have quite a presence and some of them are is so strong that it's really hard to do anything other than, you know, say your name. Uh, and I have met teachers like that. Certainly uh, a teacher named Sai Baba was like that. There's others that I have felt had a tremendous amount of spiritual energy or transmission. Whereas other well-known teachers like Ajashanti uh, does not ha have that transmission. You know, he's not putting out so much energy that you can barely speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's easier to be around him. But um, there are, uh, say, four levels of enlightenment that are pretty common. The first one is where you just kind of lose interest in your history and in the past and the future. And you're just a little bit more present throughout your life. That's like the lowest level. But in level two, you, it's, you start to feel like you're one with everything, that, that there's just one thing going on, there's one energy and you're part of it. Level three is more like what many saints experience, which is they feel like they are love personified, that wherever they go, that's like a presence of love. They don't so much um, experience themselves as a person, but as, a, as almost like an energy. And then there's a fourth one, which is very different than that, which is completely non-dual, where you don't really have any emotions. You're just a presence of awareness that feels completely peaceful, maybe even a little bit blissful. 
but you start to lose your sense of even being human at all because it, you're so united with your environment. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So there's different types. So, all right. So out of all the people that you have met over the years, who would you say was the most spiritually advanced um, and put out that kind of energy where, uh, you know, at that level that you're talking about and still function in the world? (laughs) Well, that's a really key point because some people, as they become more enlightened, they become less functioning in the world. So, you know, I really like Ajashanti because he's very enlightened and very functioning, or the Dalai Lama, you know, who has a lot to do as a busy person running a a country, kind of. So, um, but I've also met those teachers that put out so much energy, but they can't really do that much, meaning that they don't, you know, drive a car, they don't uh, do their taxes, they're more in a meditative state. Um, recently I've met teachers. I have a podcast called awareness explorers where I interview various teachers. And one guy I interviewed recently, Angelo DeLulo, he's a, he's a medical doctor and yet he's very awake. So I prefer talking to the people who actually can be in the world, but not of the world. So that's a, that's a really interesting question. So someone like Yogananda, who was not the couldn't function in the world kind of uh, enlightened soul. He was working. He had a mission, yeah. uh, and yeah. and and did so, um, but also was able to put out a certain. And it, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm, and I want to kind of just dig, you know, drill into this a little bit. That energy that gets put out because you read so many stories of saints and of yogis who you know they sit in their ashram and they just have people bring them food. You know, and and mm-hmm. then they have the followers there and they speak every once in a while. And basically they're all meditating all the time. And that is one form of enlightenment. No question. And and, and you you agree with me with, in regards to this, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And then then you have someone like a, a Yogananda who was uh, more contemporary was within the last in, in the 20th century who didn't do that, was active and working. But no one could argue he was an enlightened soul. I mean, mm-hmm. that he became an ascended master. There's just not even a question in that. Yeah. Um, so what makes one soul choose one path and the other one choose the other of a more active, enlightened being versus a more you know calmer, quieter, more meditative being that still helps people, but not at, as a not at the the grandiose scale, let's say, of a yeah. Yogananda or of a Jesus, let's say, um, yeah. these kind of enlightened uh, ascended masters? Well, I don't really know the answer to that question. I think it's largely personal preference. Uh, you know, in Yogananda's case, he just realized that his teacher and his mission in life was to introduce yoga to the West. So he had a definite mission in the world. Whereas some people like Ramana Maharshi, you know, he never left. Mm-hmm. He never left a, a, a one square mile, you know, space in his but, whole life, but it certainly has affected millions of people. Right. So that's another thing. So like, it's just such an interesting, it is, I guess, a case by case basis. No, enlight, no two enlightened souls are the same as they say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Maharashi, he, I mean, he changed Western society. And I mean, he kind of had so many people that, that he had to, he touched, but he never left anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and he was he a, was he a prolific writer? I don't remember or not. No, was he? he never wrote anything. Right, it was only others his students um, yeah. or the ones that wrote down things or recorded things that he said. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Beatles went over there, obviously, and and all of that good stuff. Um, yeah. it, it's it's fa- it's pretty fascinating. Um, this whole enlightenment thing. It um, is. In, and, in, and the good news, Alex, is that. Think of it like uh, our iPhones get better every year and uh, the enlightenment technology, the things that help us to become more awake are actually improving. So I'm kind of a collector of ways that people wake up. And what I've learned is that the, the methods that are being used by the cutting edge today are maybe a hundred times more effective than methods that were used just 40 years ago. So are you talking about literal technology that is being connected or just methods? 
just methods. Although there are now technologies that you can hook up people's brain and give them awakened experiences through what's called um, focused ultrasound. Well, I, you know, I've, I've had a few biofeedback sessions and mm -hmm. that is a pretty remarkable experience because you, you, you've become very blissful mm -hmm. um, if they turn it on. And I was yeah. shocked at how that was working. Like, they just like, okay, you're going to feel bliss right now. And there's like, it's hooked up to a laptop and it's sending you pulses to your brain. And I'm like, why do I feel high right now? Yeah, like it was, it yeah. was such a interesting thing. So there is, we're getting to the point where we're starting to kind of tune into this enlightenment. But the thing is too, and a lot of people listening are like, great, I need some enlightenment in my life. My life sucks. That's generally not the way it goes. I mean, there is more than just being able to turn it on the soul has to be at a certain place in its evolution to even accept this kind of information to a certain extent you might be able to find pieces of it or moments of it like you said but to be a yogananda maharashi or, or you know or you know a dalai lama that's a different is that a different level of it i'd love to hear your thoughts on that well i think of it that at first people need to know what's possible so whether it be through technology or a good spiritual method or a retreat or psychedelics they have to see that there's a whole world outside our thinking mind mm -hmm. and that world can be beautiful joyful amazing but we are missing it normally so once you have that experience it can give you the inspiration to see how far you can go and uh, but you're right that just having that experience doesn't give you all the wisdom that one needs in order to live an awakened life, which is a whole path. And in, in my book, The Enlightenment Project, I talk about what enlightened living in terms of relationships or in terms of money or a job looks like, and even specific methods to help you bring more awakening to those areas of your life. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, throughout history, at least the last 2000 years or so, maybe even longer, uh, it's always been enlightened souls were very special. Um, they were, uh, and arguably still are, but what Jesus said 2000 plus years ago, everything I can do, you can do. Yeah. The power, the power of heaven is inside of you. These are very basic concepts that were built for that audience back then you can't get mm -hmm. too too fancy with words back then um so what we're doing now is is with the technology with these kind of research projects are actually starting to show the potential and possibility that you can achieve this because for many years i never even thought that this was even a, a path that i could even like i'm i'm are you kidding me i got problems i got this i've got that i've got all these things and then as I've done more and more interviews with, you know, spiritual masters and more and more research and, and, you know, more and more reading and things like that, you start realizing like, no, it's, it's possible for anyone to do, but it's, it's, it's a process like anything else. It will take time. And if you're inquiring about this, if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably a good sign that you're open to this possibility. Generally speaking, mm -hmm. if someone's listening to this right now and going, these guys are quacks, probably not for you. Probably, uh -huh. probably not for you, but just by the mere notion that you're searching for this means that you're at a certain stage in your evolution as a soul to start accepting these concepts and start doing the work that might be needed to get in there. But it opens up the possibility. It's kind of like the four minute mile in many ways. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the world needs more awakened souls right now. <laughs> you, th you think, so, sir? <laughs> so it, Yes. So it's made it a little bit easier for us, you know, because life is very complex now and people are inundated with problems and technology and all these things that are what I call WMDs, uh, widgets of mass distraction. <laughs> and so I think it used to take 20 years to of write instruction before a person wakes up. Now, I think it can be done in in two months, potentially. I see people go through major identity shifts, not all the time, but often in a short period of time when they find a method that really works well for them. But do you also believe that 
I think that there's so many, look, there, there's obviously a big change that's happened in humanity in the last 50 years in mm-hmm. regards to spirituality, regards to meditation, regards to yoga, in regards to all of these kind of concepts that were not even in the zeitgeist before now are much more common. Meditating is a very common thing. Yoga is a very common thing. Yeah. Mindfulness is a movement now and people, all these kind of things. Do you believe that, you know, the souls that are being brought into the world at this point are the souls that are ready to start making this shift to make it this move to to move humanity forward a little bit whereas a hundred years ago those souls weren't really ready for this kind of information we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show well that's above my pay grade alex it's a nice (laughs) idea Maybe, but you know, uh, I love that. I don't, so much go into, <laughs> I don't so much go into those, those ideas because there's no way of knowing, but I do right. know that the methods that I've been exposed to in the last few years seem to give people enlightened moments in a matter of minutes where even 30 years ago, as I was teaching some methods, I could, I could do something for hours or days and it would have very little effect. So I have noticed that there is a shift that more people seem to be waking up as they try these new things. And maybe you're right that maybe people's souls are just ready for it now. Okay. So when you're saying methods, what is happening in this, in these, in these methods, in these processes, what's happening to the actual identity, to the ego, what is the identity shift? Because it is an identity shift. There's no question about even in my own path. I've who I am now from where I was a year ago is drastically different. I mean, drastically like leaps and Mm. bounds different than where I am now because of the the work I've been doing and and just the exposure I've been getting to this kind of information where I'm just curious what exactly technically is happening in the, in the patients or the people that you're studying. Yeah. Great question. Well, you know, I was a depressed, suicidal teenager, so my (laughs) identity shift is rather massive. I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's happening is, you know, normally you and I or a normal person is identified with their body, their story. Usually it's a story in your mind, like I'm X years old, I got these problems, I got this relationship, I got, you know, all these stories in our head that when you start to awaken those stories don't have the impact or the identification that they used to it's almost like it doesn't really matter all that matters is this moment and what is happening in this moment and this moment we're basically always have the same thing we hear we hear sounds we see visuals we have sensations and there's an awareness that is witnessing all that So as you awaken, you become more identified with the awareness, with the presence and the ensuing peace and love that comes from that, rather than the burden of your ego and your problems and your relationships and all the stories that we got going on in our, in our chatterbox mind. Now, in your experience, do enlightened souls experience the world differently? Mm -hmm. How, how so? Well, let's take your and my experience. Have you ever had a moment in nature where you just felt totally peaceful and like part of the environment? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I, I mean, I've had moments of it. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah, like you're in, in the ocean or, you know, I know surfers, right. I, I know surfers feel it a lot. That's why they keep yeah. going back. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. Or, you know, making love or uh, something like that. Well, imagine that that's your experience while you're doing email or while you're walking to your car. It is possible and enlightened people do have that experience virtually all the time. I personally go in and out of it about 50 times a day. Mm. You know, I have a moment here, a moment there. I, I, I liken it to like there's two channels on the TV. On channel two, the world of duality you know, you are separate than me, there's problems, there's things to do. On channel one, everything's one, there's all this one energy, which is vibrates a a feeling of love or peace. 
and in that channel it, it things are always good <laughs> so, so i go back and forth so what do we need to do to stay on channel one well that's where these practices get uh important and in in studying what practices worked one of the things that they found was that the practices that most people do are pretty ineffective like hatha yoga never leads to enlightenment um, mm -hmm. Most meditations never lead to enlightenment. And yet some, I'll, I'll give a couple of very simple practices. And I, you know, I have a website, theenlightenmentproject.net, mm -hmm. where I give away my five favorite practices for free that can be done in under two minutes. Mm -hmm. And most people have, have never heard of these practices, but let, like, let me just explain a couple really quickly. Please. Imagine... Well, okay, so this there's the, the practice called what else is going on? What else is happening? So right now, I think I'm talking, I'm Jonathan talking to Alex about enlightenment. Well, what else is going on? Well, I feel sensations of my butt on the chair. What else is going on? I feel this body breathing. What else? I hear sounds in this moment. I see all these colors. Um, what else is going on? There's an awareness that is aware of all these things. See, we get fixated on very small individual things like problems, but there's always this moment that has a thousand things going on. And as you zoom out, you start to become more aware of awareness than you are of, say, the problems going through your mind or mm -hmm. an emotion that is very unpleasant. So that's, you know, I, you could call that the what else is happening method, or imagine you were just born, like you're an alien being just put into a human body. You don't know what anything means. You see these colors, you hear these sounds, you don't judge them good or bad because you wouldn't know what's good or bad. You were just put in this body and you're like, just got here. That actually mimics kind of the experience of enlightenment if you could get into that frame of mind. And that's why, you know, babies, when you look in their eyes, it's like, they're like, wow, what's going on? This is amazing, you know? So um, it's not that far. It's not something you have to create. It's more something you relax into. So, so people in your book, you do have a bunch of methods that can help you get into uh, to enlightenment. Can you, so if they use these methods, again and again is it more like you're turning back the channel one more and more and more to the point where you could start going back to that channel at whim uh, yeah, or, yeah. or going back and forth like you do yeah it used to take me well in my early days like six hours to get to channel one mm. and then as i meditated more it took more like half an hour and now it takes about two seconds so, you know, if channel one, if peace and love are always available two seconds away, then life is pretty good. <laughs> I would say so. You mentioned also something earlier in, in regards to psychedelics. It's a really interesting thing. There's a lot of research being done on psychedelics right now, uh, ever since they opened it back up, uh, yeah. thank God. And they started to do research in regards to that and it's really interesting. I've seen a lot of documentaries. I've, sp I've spoken to a, a bunch of uh, uh, leading people. I think I forgot the name of him, but he was at Harvard and he's doing a lot of work in, um, oh God, I forgot the, 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 the hallucinogen. Hallucin the, 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 well, it was probably psilocybin or psilocybin. MDMA. Yeah, psilocybin. It, yeah, psilocybin. Yeah. And every time he, they put somebody on psilocybin, uh, it's either ranked as a top five things that's ever happened to them, kind of like up there with the birth of your child or a death yeah. of the family, or and or the top two or three things spiritually that's ever happened to them. Yeah. And I love to hear your thoughts on what is it doing? Is it just bringing down the 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 the, the mask that we're wearing and we're able to connect into this into this um, all one all one energy that allows you to just be part part of the flow of of creation if you will well luckily i did a lot of research on these things in my college days and my master's thesis was on the therapeutic effects of uh, mdma better mm -hmm. known as ecstasy and psilocybin on p 
PTSD, trauma stuff. Mm-hmm. And we found that you could often cure such things in one day. Right. Uh, and what you're doing is you're taking the mind normally very much focuses on stuff. It focuses like on problems. Um, you know, imagine a, a, a small black dot on a whiteboard. <laughs> well, that black dot is our biggest problem. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And we have a relationship with that black dot on that big whiteboard. And that relationship looks like putting our eyeball right on that black dot, then complaining, oh, it's totally dark. It's nothing but black as far as I can see. Well, as you move back from that black dot and take your eyeball off it, you see that it's on a big whiteboard. That whiteboard is like our awareness. And um, so what these drugs do is normally our minds are very focused on problems and survival and things like that. And they um, open up the aperture like in a camera. So there's right now about a million pieces of information entering your brain. But the brain doesn't know how to handle that. So it limits what you're consciously aware of to about five things. What the drugs do is they open up that aperture. So you start to see more of what's going on, more of reality, more of the awareness. And along with that usually comes things like some great feelings like peace, love and bliss. So uh, that's what those drugs do. And there's a healing effect to seeing that, oh my God, I've been so focused on my problems that I, I miss this whole world of magic and miracles that every one month old sees, every mm-hmm. two year old has some experience of, but as we get older, we often get more fixated on, on patterns that no longer serve us. Now, we did mention that you've met a few people along the way. Um, I just love to hear your experience with a few of these people. Uh, you mentioned sure. the yogi um, that you, you were blissed out just by being next to yeah, him. Yeah. What was the yogi's name again? Uh, Sai Baba. Sai Baba. So what is that like being in the presence of an enlightened soul like that who is projecting? What was it like being in the room? What was it like to see the other people and how they were reacting to it? Did you ever see anything that was like, it's it's almost like when you walk into his field, you're, it's like a superpower almost like you can't yeah. not feel this way. What was it like? Well, my first experience of Sai Baba was, um, he was known for being able to manifest things out of thin air. Mm-hmm. A yogic super, I, a yogic superpower, as they say. Yeah, in, in I was the text. a little skeptical, but I'm an amateur magician, so I know all the tricks. <laughs> okay. So the first day I'm there, uh, he walks by me, and as he's walking by me, he puts his hand maybe six inches from my face and starts manifesting ash, and he man- he would manifest ash as a reminder that we all return to ashes. But I'm not talking about a little bit of ash. He manifested like two cupfuls. I'm being inundated with ash. And I looked to see if he has like a false thumb or false anything. And I couldn't see any of that. And then he looks at me. He normally didn't speak English, but he looks at me. And then he says, are you satisfied, magic man? So (laughs) besides, You haven't spoken to him. No, no, no. And, and and so I said, uh, yeah, that's pretty, you know, I'm satisfied. Then he bends down to what I thought was going to be whisper something in my ear, but he sneezed on me. And when he sneezed on me, it felt like I was hit by a Mack truck of love. And I remember thinking, let go, you're about to die. And I remember entering into this formless bliss and then came to about three hours later in a different location, they carried my body to a room because he sometimes does this to people. And, and they said, you're going to be here for a while. You probably can't, you know, feed yourself yet, but you'll recover in a day or two and then be on your way. You know, so that, that was impressive. I, you would, I would think so. But, you know, I've met other people that were impressive and in equally phenomenal ways. Um, you mentioned before we started this interview that you knew Papaji. I, I know of him. I didn't know him personally. Uh, him, yeah. So I, I met him 
And um, I didn't really know much about him when I got to his ashram. So I get to his ashram, which was his house. And uh, as I enter the, his living room, he points to me and says, sit here. So I sit in front of him. I'm all nervous. You know, I don't know what's going on. And he looks at me and he says, who are you? And I didn't really know the protocol. So I said, I'm Jonathan Robinson from the United States. And he and the 30 people in the living room just busted up laughing. And I thought, well, that was the wrong answer. So, no, he says, who are you really? And I go, well, I'm, I'm uh, a seeker. And he shakes his head no. And I said, I'm a man. And he shakes his head no. And I'm a writer. And he shakes his head no. And I said, I'm a husband. And he shakes his head no. So I did this for about a minute or two. I ran out of roles. So I just started looking at him in his eyes. And Papaji would have like, literally his eyes were like sparkling with light coming out of them. I thought that was really interesting. So I just look in his eyes and everything got silent. And then there started to be this feeling in my chest that was a little bit uncomfortable. And I said, well, you know, just go with it. And as I opened to that feeling, uh, it was like being exploded by love. And I started weeping in his lap uncontrollably. And as I'm weeping in his lap, he pats me on the head and he says, this love that you feel, that's who you are. And your job is to get back there as best you can. I always remember that. So, you know, I've had all these encounters and, you know, I wrote the book because I've been really blessed that way. And I want to just pass on like the greatest hits of what it's like to be around these people and what their ideas and methods are that really do seem to work. You also got to meet uh, the late Mother Teresa. I mean, yeah. I mean, she, talk about someone who is. I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't who's not heard of Mother Teresa. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that's even a thing. Like, who do you think you are, Mother Teresa? Like, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a thing because <laughs> right. she was she was a living saint in our time. What was it like speaking to Mother Teresa? Well, it's a it's kind of a funny story. I never met her. What happened was in 1993, I was writing this book where I was interviewing spiritual leaders. And um, so I went to the library to find a phone number for her organization in India. And so I find the number now calling any place in India in 1993 and getting anybody to pick up was like calling a random number and getting somebody on the space station to pick up, you know, it just didn't happen. But, you know, I figure what the hell, I'll call this number and a woman answers the phone. And I say, you know, I'm doing a book where I interview spiritual leaders. And I'm trying to interview Mother Teresa. Do you know anybody who knows her or can get a message to her? And the woman says, yeah, this is Ma. And I said, Ma, you know, do you know anybody who knows Mother Teresa? And she says, yes, this is Ma. I go, this is Mother Teresa? And she says, yes. So, so once again, I start crying. <laughs> and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, why'd you pick up the phone? <laughs> Don't you have people for this? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And she said, it was ringing when I walked by. That's amazing. So, so you know, we, I, I compose myself. I ask her these questions. Uh, one, one question I asked her is, how do you meditate? And she said, well, I don't really meditate or know much about it, but the Dalai Lama knows about a lot about meditation. Would you like his phone number? And I said, uh, yeah, that would be very nice. <laughs> so, wow. It was crazy. That's but, insane. <laughs> But, you know, when you are trying to be helpful to people and you come from the right place, I think that you can, I don't know, magnetize grace. Miracles can happen. Oh, yeah. There's there's no question. So then you call the Dalai Lama. and <laughs> Well, him I did get to meet in person. He was going to be in my city uh, three months in the future, and we were able to connect. And what was that? What was, I mean, how was, how was hanging out with his holiness? Well, one thing that's helped is I, I'm not, um, I'm not intimidated by such people. I try to just be myself 
And I think they've really appreciated that because they don't get much human contact, you know? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. If you're the Dalai Lama, everybody reacts to you like, uh, you know, you're Jesus. So it's, it's, it can be challenging for them and they really like human contact. So I, I was very much myself. We laughed a lot. He's like a five-year-old kid with the wisdom of the Buddha. He was very playful and, uh, we, we really seemed to enjoy each other. I, I had a great time talking to him. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've worked in Hollywood for many years, not comparing the Dalai Lama to anyone yeah. in Hollywood by any stretch of imagination. But even when you meet some of these high, you know, big actors, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Everyone is just like, oh, you're the you know, this person or that person, and they don't treat them like a human. Like right, right. And it's that's where they lose track of reality sometimes. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> as we've as we've seen in the news. Uh, and the gurus can do that too. You know, they get involved in these sex scandals. You don't have to be yeah. a perfect human being to have a higher consciousness. And these people can make dumb mistakes, so, but they do have peace. So let me ask you that because there is there is uh, there are some of these gurus who who's had that happen over the years. I know they had a whole documentary on um, Showa. I think it was his name. Uh, Show uh, the, the the one that was um, they had he built the whole you know colony in in California. He bought it like a valley, and, and then they started getting guns. He had like fifty Rolls Royces, and I'm like, oh, uh, oh, show, oh show, yeah, oh show. Yeah. So I'm like listening, and I'm watching this. And I'm like, how is like how can you be an enlightened soul and have fifty Rolls Royces? It didn't make sense to me. But then I hear from people in that region of the world who I've spoken to, they're like, if you listen to this man speak or read a book of his, you'll understand what I mean. So I'm like, is it a cult? Is it is it actual enlightenment? What What's going on with? So why do certain enlightened souls, if you will, or at least awakened souls go through these kind of struggles? Well, think of it that just because Tiger Woods is, the best golf player that's ever played doesn't mean that he's a good driver <laughs> that he drives a car well okay fair enough just because he's a lousy driver doesn't mean that he's not the greatest golf player that's ever lived right. so these people have tapped into a very deep peace and a very deep love but they don't they're not necessarily um Perfect. well matured in other areas of their life you know mm. i was talking to Ajashanti, and people would ask him what should i do with my three-year-old child and luckily Ajashanti will say i have no idea i don't have any kids you know if you want to ask me about consciousness i can tell you stuff but if you want to ask me about your business you know i'm a total buffoon it's, it's a really interesting way of looking at it because you're right. Just because they have found their experts in their field, if you go, so should I invest in this? I, I don't know anything about investments. What are you talking about? Exactly. I, it makes it, it does actually make a little sense like parenting advice. I'm like, I've never had children. Why would I know? But you're enlightened. That doesn't mean I know everything. I just have been yeah. able to tap in to this. There are souls that you know, you walk in and you could ask them about anything and they just tap into some sort of reservoir of knowledge. And, yeah. uh, but those are different. This is a very interesting conversation, Jonathan, because it's like, it opens up so many different wormholes, if you will, of, of, of type of enlightened souls, because I mean, there's someone obviously like Baba G who was uh, really brought into the, the zeitgeist of, of humanity through autobiography of a yogi who's considered the most enlightened soul uh that is manifest and he they uh yogananda says he's still alive he's been alive for 2500 years he chooses to be here and so on i'm assuming if you're lucky enough to get in front of baba g um he's probably well, gonna, I, he's gonna I know about kids front, if i get in front of him i'll ask him what do i do spiritually but i'm not gonna ask him what stock to invest in because at that point he'd be he'd be like please leave please it's time you're not exactly, exactly. how did you get it? security security <laughs> How did True. this man get into my ashram? 
Exactly. <laughs> my floating ashram in the Himalayas. How yeah. is this a thing? <laughs> Can you imagine? You've made the hike. You've gotten to And all of a sudden you run into Babaji and you're like, so Tesla, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> should I buy or should I sell? <laughs> uh, That's amazing. So we, we, we've been talking about um, technologies and what they're doing to help us enlighten. But there's there's also the technologies that, like you called it, like, uh, what is it, uh, massive distractions? I forgot what you called oh, it. Uh, WMDs, um, widgets of mass distraction. Right, exactly. Because, you know, social media and a lot of these things that we have in the world and the internet is a very one of the most powerful tools we've ever invented and can connect people in ways and get information to people in ways that is unheard of. I mean, this conversation will be broadcast around the world and anybody with an internet connection and a YouTube, you know, go to YouTube or, or, or go to a podcast and listen or watch this. Mm -hmm. That was unheard of 20, 25 years ago. This is unheard yeah. of. So there's great power of to do good, but there's also great power to do damage. And I think that's what you mean with the distractions, because if you get caught down the rabbit hole of, any of these social media platforms, uh, it can really do a lot of damage, especially to young minds. So what's yeah. your what's your opinion of technology where we are right now and how can we use it to better ourselves? Well, the first step is to get clear on what you're aiming for. You know, um, are you aiming for love and peace or are you aiming for Facebook friends? Because right. a thousand Facebook friends does not equal one really good friend. And it certainly doesn't equal feeling the peace and love inside of yourself. So you got to get clear on what you're aiming for. Once, once you know what you're aiming for, then certain things are obviously not helpful. It's not helpful to watch horror movies if you're aiming for peace. You know, uh, but people forget that. So, you know, I became very focused. I wanted to know the best ways to find inner peace because I, I almost killed myself. I was so depressed as a teen. Mm -hmm. um, and I, as I saw that there was some things that could really make me feel better, especially methods that were really easy to do. You know, I got on the Oprah show a lot in the 90s mm -hmm. because I specialized in collecting ways that took less than a minute. You know, if I'm lazy, but I'm not that lazy. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll put in a minute of effort if it leads to a good feeling. Um, so, uh, but in order to do that, you know, like I don't do Facebook, I don't do social media. And that has helped me to find more peace and more joy and more actual love than getting lost down the rabbit hole of the bad news of the day, the social media posts, the uh, latest app, the latest whatever, that that can be very distracting and does not lead you necessarily to where you want to go. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Yeah. But I mean then again, as you said, you know, this podcast, uh, I have the podcast app on my phone and I listen to a lot of great podcasts. And if you use it well and you know what you're trying to aim for, uh, you know, when I was a college student, um, my roommate was the best basketball player in L.A. Mm -hmm. He's always challenging me to a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball. And I'd say, no, thank you, Tony. But one day I say, okay, I'll play a game of basketball in one condition. I get to bring out a one-ounce gadget and place it wherever I want. So um, he said, okay. So we go out to the court, and I get out a one-ounce gadget. It looked like this, a blindfold. And I place it over my eyes, and I say, let the games begin. Now, it still ended up being pretty close, but I beat <laughs> one of the best basketball players in L.A. because I knew what I was aiming for. Right. And if I, if you throw enough things in the right general direction, something's going to work. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know, and, and with, with all your uh, studying of enlightenment, you know, a lot of people, you know, obviously talk about religion and spiritual paths. In your experience, what is there? I'm not asking you which is the best religion. I don't care. Uh, but in your in your experiment or not experiments, but in your research, 
what did you find that how did people get there? I mean, did they even go through a religious path or did they go through more of a spiritual path or did they go through no path at all and just use methods to kind of start opening up the doors that we've been talking about? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think most people who have really gone far into enlightenment. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Actually, um, their religion, their religious background didn't make much difference. It was more like they found a method, maybe from their religion or maybe from another religion or maybe from no religion at all that seemed to get them in touch with inner peace and love. So even somebody like, say, uh, Mother Teresa, her main method was looking at everybody as if they were Jesus. Well, if Jesus entered the room, you'd probably be filled with love and awe yourself, right? Well, I don't know if that's a method in Christianity. So she kind of came across her own method that worked for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different systems to get to this place. You know, in Buddhism, they use a lot of awareness techniques. In Christianity, they use a lot of love techniques. In, uh, in Islam, they use a lot of surrender techniques. And these are all different approaches to get to this place that um, feels truly amazing and, and lessens the ego's effect on us and the problems the ego creates. So a lot of the things that we're talking about with enlightenment, what are some obstacles that we need to overcome to even start this path? Well, the first obstacle is knowing that there's something possible and that it's possible for you. It's not possible for some saint you heard about. It's actually very available. That's the biggest obstacle. Once you get past that obstacle, it's the obstacle of really laziness. Like, are you willing to try a few things? Are you willing to read a friggin' book? Are you willing to listen to some teachers on YouTube and, and try out what they say? So, you know, the Enlightenment Project was written partly because um, I'm lazy. I wanted all the best methods I'd ever come across in one book. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there and you see what you resonate with. And if you're willing to try stuff, are you willing to be a little bit persistent with it? You know, give it 10 minutes a day for a month. And... um, and then I think it's also really helpful to have people who sur- you surround yourself with who are into the same thing. Because, you know, some people, they're just not into it. They're into making money, which is great. I like money. Or they're into a relationship or they're into uh, achieving something. That's all great. But that's a different focus than trying to find the peace, love, and heaven within. When you turn on to Channel One, the Enlightenment yep. Channel, which I would subscribe to, by the way. I think it, I think okay, everybody good, yeah. would. So I think everyone would subscribe to that streaming service. It's streaming uh, all the time. Too. It's streaming. It streams all the time. If we could just patch into that, that'd be great. What happens to you in your daily life when you're connected in that channel? Because you said you come in and out of it about fifty times a day. Yeah. So how how does how do you walk through life differently when you're on channel one versus channel two? Well, my wife would say I'm more empathetic and more loving and. There's a different look in my eye, a more peaceful. Um, it feels like a great burden has been lifted called the human mind, which is always focused on some some problem or something. So it's a, it's a feeling of almost like uh, a vibration of total love is how I experience it. And do you can you function? Um, I have a hard time doing certain things uh, like I could probably I can talk to you now and experience that, but I can't do email. I can't do my taxes, but I can do simple things while in that experience. Are you in the, have you been in that experience in this conversation? I've gone in and out about 10 times. <laughs> okay. All right. It's very interesting. No, it's 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 a it's a really fascinating thing because it it really does change the definition of what we heard as enlightenment. You know, again, if you use the classic Buddha 
finding enlightenment underneath the tree. Um, one thing I want to just say, and, and I think this is a misnomer that so many people have had that is, and I think it's what you've been saying throughout in your book and in your research, is that it isn't a special person that everybody who's ever, that we've ever read about, ever studied, ever heard about, who found enlightenment, who found some sort of connection to the source at a high level, Yogananda, Buddha, Jesus, uh, you know, and, and, and many of the people you've spoken about, they didn't come into this world like that. They didn't just show up as a baby and go, oh, I got it all figured out. They they had to go through trials and tribulations. Even Buddha had to go through his situation. Jesus, yeah. there was a there's a missing 30-year block. I don't know what happened during that 30 years. Something. Uh, yeah. Many say many say he was in India uh hanging out, uh, figuring some stuff out. Um, but there's always that pattern uh that we have to go through. So why couldn't we? go down that pattern as well. Uh, mm-hmm. If if what Jesus said originally, everything I can do, you can do. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Is that, is that, what do you say to that? Yeah, I'd say any sincere person who explores enough and finds what works for them can definitely experience that. And that it is something that is very available. You could say it's our natural state, you know? <laughs> It, well, it is. I mean, we're, it's our soul. Our soul yeah, is not yeah. worried about the black dot on the whiteboard. Exactly. Not not so much. Uh, it's we are the ones worried about the the water bill, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. Okay. Um, what is your definition of a good life? I think um, having lots of uh, peace, love, and joy and living your life so that you bring peace, love, and joy and contribution to the people around you. What is your mission in this life? I have a very specific mission, which is to get the best ideas and methods from all these teachers and gurus and the simplest ideas, most effective ones, and uh, let as large an audience as possible know about them. So far, I've reached about 100 million people. And my goal is another hundred million. Not bad. Not bad. You did, I mean, you know, you're slacking a bit, but you know, we'll do what I we know, can. I know. I'm lazy. I mean, I mean, I've, I've hit at least a billion, but that's just me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what is the ultimate purpose of life? Well, it's interesting. I've asked all these, these uh, teachers what, what the meaning and purpose of life is, what are we here to do? I stopped asking after 50 of them because the first 50 gave me the exact same answer. Okay. Now you can't get 50 scientists to agree that the sky is blue, but if you can get 50 different spiritual leaders to agree what we're here to do, that's pretty amazing. So what is, what is the answer, sir? Well, for 1495, people can find it. (laughs) That's amazing. No, no, I'm, I will tell you for free. If, if they've listened this long, they deserve to know. Okay. Um, they say we're here to do two things. Find peace and love inside yourself to whatever extent you can. Once you've found that, go out and help other people and help the world. It's pretty much it, isn't it? It's- yeah. But the, but the thing is, you have to find it in yourself first before you can share it. Exactly. That's, that's a hard part. And, uh, but you know, it's not as hard as it used to be. I used to have to spend 20 years in a monastery and do all that. Now, uh, I think a sincere person can, can have a major shift in their consciousness in, in six weeks, if they apply themselves an hour a day tops. And, And Jonathan, where can people find out more about you, where to buy your book, the enlightenment project and all the other stuff that you're doing? Well, they can, of course, buy the book at Amazon. It's an audio book or Kindle, too. Um, but if they go to theenlightenmentproject.net, they can find out a lot about the book. They get the first chapter for free. They get an ebook about my five favorite methods that can be done in under a minute. And they get an audio meditation of me guiding them through five different methods. So that's a good deal. And there's also a lot of extra information about the book there as well. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for the work that you've been doing all of these years, helping 
the hundred million plus people that you've con- you've you've connected with, and hopefully you'll be able to do more and more work um, while you're here with us. Uh, I hope you're in enlightenment right now uh, as we're speaking. But I appreciate you, my friend, and thank you again for sharing your knowledge with us. It was us. great fun, Alex. Thanks for for such a fun interview. I want to thank Jonathan so much for coming on the show and sharing how to become an enlightened, awake being with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 149. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.